It was amazing this week to meet, uh, as I said, people from uh, 60 different nations. I thought it was 90, it was 60. And uh, uh, just striking up a conversation with someone in a, in a, in a, in a queue and uh, hearing that they're from a place called Kurdistan, uh, talking with another guy from Iraq, where if you, we, we couldn't take photos at the conference because if those photos get out, people will be murdered for their faith. Uh, hearing from a Chinese couple who had to leave China because they're on the list of the government, and so they've had to go to another nation. They now lead their church from another nation uh, because they can't be there. Um, had supper on the last night with a, a man from Bulgaria and his wife and, uh, and how I, they, they got saved when, when it was communist and his brother-in-law was murdered by the police and then when communism fell because everything will fall under the name of Jesus, he went into the same prison where his brother was murdered and he preached the gospel and he saw people saved in the room that his brother-in-law was murdered in and... Uh, just stirring stories. I want to encourage you to keep praying for not just your own things. Do not just pray for the, the jobs you need or the, the desires you have, but to pray for the gospel to advance around the world. Amen. Hallelujah. It's my great privilege uh, to preach again today. I, I'm battling getting emotional because this is my sixth last Sunday here. And so it kind of feels like every time I'm preaching, it's like, uh, you know, how, how can I say it all? And I guess I can't. I've been saying it for 21 years. So, um, But uh, I, I really have a prayer for you this morning that you'd hear Jesus. And I've loved His presence in our midst. And today, again, we're going to be looking at Luke. We're going to be in Luke 19 from verse 41 to 48 as we continue in our Savior series. But my prayer for you today isn't that your mind would be tickled, but that your heart would hear Jesus speaking to you. Amen. And so before I get to the text for today, I want to give you a little bit of the context, the background to this story or this account that Luke records of Jesus. My, my message, uh, and you'll see why in just a moment, I've entitled it Tears, that's the tears of Jesus, Tears That Tell a Story. And so the backstory to Luke 19 is that we're reading of Jesus, and he is walking to Jerusalem, and all that will happen in Jerusalem is in his mind. But I want you to know today that what Jesus says, and these words that we're going to look at today, they're not just isolated. He didn't just say it out of context. They had a context. You see, what's been happening in Jesus' heart is as he's been getting nearer and nearer to Jerusalem, to his his crucifixion and his resurrection and ascension, Jesus has had a growing cry in his heart. He's had a growing lament in his heart. And the lament that he's feeling, the emotion that he's feeling, is about his people, the Jewish people. Amazing that we've just been praying for a situation in Israel. And as Jesus approaches, he is... He is feeling the approach of his trial, his suffering, and his crucifixion. It's, it's, it's like knowing that something is big, big is coming. I was just speaking to Brett. He's one of the matrics in the room. There's other matrics in the room, no doubt. And when you've got the exams coming, it's just like, it's coming, it's coming, it's coming. There's this thing ahead of you. 
That's what's happening in Jesus' heart, is he knows that his trial, his crucifixion, his suffering, and his death is coming. But in this moment that we're going to look at, he's thinking not about himself, but he's thinking about the Jewish people. I want you to remember this morning that Jesus is Yahweh, the God of Abraham, of Isaac, and of Jacob. He's the one who chose Israel to be his people. And for over 700 years, the prophet Isaiah, we're going to read the prophet Isaiah now, God, Yahweh, has been crying about his people and how they've been treating him. And this is what God said to Jerusalem. His people through the prophet Isaiah in Isaiah chapter 5. So before we get to Luke 19, let's look at Isaiah chapter 5. We read this just a few months ago. God says this, Let me sing for my beloved my love song concerning his vineyard. So just that you know here, God's likening his people to a vineyard. He's a farmer and he's planted a vineyard. My beloved had a vineyard on a very fertile hill. He dug it, and he cleared it of stones, and he planted it with choice vines, the best vines. He built a watchtower in the midst of it, and he hewed out a wine vat in it, and he looked for it to yield. He looked for it to give him grapes, but it yielded wild grapes. It didn't yield what he planted. It yielded something else. And now, O oh, inhabitants of Jerusalem and men of Judah, judge between me and my vineyard. What more was there to do for my vineyard that I have not done in it? Can you hear what God's saying? I have done everything I could for my people. Is there anything else I could have done that I haven't already done for my people? But when I looked for it to yield grapes, why did it yield wild grapes? And now I will tell you what I will do to my vineyard. I will remove its hedge. I'll take away the wall around it, and it will be devoured. And I will break down its wall, and it will be trampled down. And so in Isaiah, you can feel the heart of God, that God is so broken in his heart over how his people have not been the people that he has always wanted them to be. His people have not done what he's asked them to do. And so he's going to remove his protection from them. This was a consistent theme in the Old Testament. God appealing through prophet after prophet after prophet. Here it's the prophet Isaiah saying to his people, repent and return to me. And every now and then there were little revivals, there were little turnings around, and there were little restorations back to God. But they were limited. There were normally just a few people. And they were short-lived. And then they, and Israel would go back into the cycle of not being the people God wanted them to be. And here in Luke, after hundreds of years of Israel's obstinance to God, we see it coming to a head. And we see in Luke 13 and in Luke 19, we're about to read from Luke 13 and 19, we, we read about God's judgment on those who resisted him. In Luke 13, the, the writer of Luke recorded Jesus saying something similar to what the Isaiah the prophet said. In Luke 13, verse 34 and 35, Jesus said this, O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, 
the city that kills the prophets and stones those who sent by God to it. How often would I have gathered your children together as a hen gathers her brood under her wings, but you were not willing. Can you see the picture? I wanted to gather you, and you were going, no! Behold, because of that, behold, your house is forsaken. And I tell you, you will not see me until you say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, which is exactly what they said on Palm Sunday. Can you see the sad theme in Isaiah and in the words of Jesus? There's this lament in the heart of Jesus that his people were still resisting the God who chose them all those years ago. You see, Jesus was the promised Messiah. And he was about to be tried and murdered by his own people. He was about to be tried and murdered by one, the ones that he chose, the ones that he protected, the ones that he provided for, all these hundreds of years throughout the Old Testament story that you can read in your Bible. He was about to be tried and murdered by those who were meant to be waiting for him. He was about to be murdered by them. And so as Jesus drew near to Jerusalem, as he drew nearer to him, this moment where he's going to give his life as a sacrifice, we, re we read that Jesus said these things. And so we jump into Luke 19. Imagine Jesus walking with his disciples and he catches a glimpse of Jerusalem just over there as they're walking. And he says, Luke writes, and when he drew near and saw the city, he wept over it saying, would that even you had known on this day the things that make for peace, but now they're hidden from your eyes. Just like Isaiah prophesied that the wall around the vineyard would be taken away and the vineyard would be destroyed, Jesus says the same thing. He says, for the days will come upon you when your enemies will set up a barricade, this happened in AD 70. This happened 40 years later. Your enemies will set up a barricade. The Romans set up a barricade outside Jerusalem and destroyed Jerusalem and burnt everything. And Jesus prophesied it. There will be a day coming upon you when the enemies will set up a barricade around you and they will surround you and hem you in from every side and they will tear you down to the ground, you and your children within you. And they will not leave one stone upon another in you. And here's the reason why. Because you did not know the time of your visitation. You didn't know the time that I visited you. In other words, I'm the Messiah. I'm visiting you. And you killed me. And then he entered the temple and he began to drive out those who sold, saying to them, it is written, my house shall be a house of prayer, but you have made it a den of robbers. And he was teaching them daily in the temple. Chief priests and the scribes and the principal men of people were seeking to destroy him, but they did not find anything they could do, for all the people were hanging onto his words. Amen. This is God's word. So let's ask a question, and let's apply it to our lives. The first question is, why is Jesus crying in this passage? 
Why is Jesus crying over Jerusalem? Well, Jesus is crying over Jerusalem because this was the capital city of God's people. This, this was the city that is celebrated throughout the Scriptures. This was Zion. This was God's chosen place. I did a search on Zion as the place of God, and there are 1,960 references in the Old Testament to Zion, and they are all looking to Zion as something special. This is Zion that Jesus is seeing, and yet he's so sad because it's not what it was meant to be. And so this city was both a symbol and the site where God dwelt with his people. It was the symbol, the city of, of God, the, the, the city of Zion, and the temple. It was the place where the temple was. This is where God dwelt with his people. And so when Jesus saw it, he knew all of that, and it broke his heart. This was the center of worship. This is where worship happened. It was centered in this place. This was the place where God's people could come, and they could be sinful, and they could bring a sacrifice, and they could have their sins taken away, and they could be forgiven. This was a place where the law was kept and taught, and it was meant to guide God's people on how they should live. And so as Jesus comes to this vision and he sees the city in, in the distance, this hugely significant place in Scripture, as Jesus saw the city, although Jerusalem was meant to be all these things dripping with meaning and significance, as the Messiah approached what overwhelmed King Jesus was the same sadness that we read in Isaiah. It's like Isaiah was going in his heart. What more was there that I could do for you, my vineyard, that I have not done? You see, Jesus is weeping because the reality of hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years of hard-hearted, rebellious Israel, their rejection and their resistance of Him as their king, who had only ever loved Him, as we sung today, the goodness of God. God had only ever loved them protected them, done them good. It's a tragedy of the highest proportions. God had so loved Israel, and Israel had so rejected God. And that is why Jesus is weeping. That's his first, the first reason. The second reason I believe Jesus is crying is because their rejection of, them, of him had broken his heart. You know, God made us to have a life-giving relationship with him. And so ever since Adam and Eve, the God of the Bible, has invited humankind into a life-giving relationship with Him. As soon as God makes Adam and Eve, he, he meets with them every day. He walks with them in the garden. That's how God made us to be. But we, throughout human history, have chosen to ignore God, to live apart from God, to live as though He's not our God and King, and even rebelled against the things He's asked us to do. You know, Nadine and I were just in, in Istanbul on the way to this conference, and it's amazing being in a mega city like Istanbul, where you can't even speak, you try to speak English to people. We were using Google Translate, literally talking into our phone, showing it to someone, they talking back, trying to communicate in a totally foreign city, but just struck with millions and millions of people who are living their lives as though God was not God. 
and as though Jesus didn't matter. The mosques in that city, they are massive, and they are old. They look like warts all over that city. The suppression. We were in Istanbul Airport, which is like massive, and there's just thousands of people. And all I can feel is, Lord, how many of these people don't know you? They're going through their whole lives as if you are not God, but you are God. And you can, you, can, you can go to the mall today. There's many people in that mall. And they're living as though God does not exist. There's people in stadiums at the World Cup soccer and the World Cup rugby. And they're living as though God doesn't exist. And I believe this is why Jesus was crying. Because many in Jerusalem were living as though God did not exist. As though He was not God. And when this happens, it's deeply personal to God. You know, if you get rejected, rejection is one of the worst things that can happen, isn't it? In fact, we'll actually do things to make sure we don't get rejected. We'll just avoid that whole situation so that, that can't happen. Well, when God is rejected, it breaks His heart. And I believe that's why Jesus is crying. You see, sin, rejection of God, resisting God, which is sin, Sin is basically a creature spitting at his creator. Sin is a dishonoring of our heavenly loving father and saying, you're not my father. Sin is an act of war and rebellion against your mighty king. Sin is a betrayal of your truest friend. And sin is an act of aggrieving your greatest lover, the one who's only ever loved you. And so Jesus wept because of Israel's sin, and it broke his heart. Thirdly, Jesus is crying because God desires that every person be saved. You see, Jesus says over Jerusalem that they were about to be destroyed. And in the NLT translation, the, NIV, uh, the ESV says, because you did not know the time of your visitation. You'll be destroyed because you didn't know that I was visiting you. The NLT says it like this. You're going to be destroyed, Jerusalem, because you did not recognize it when God visited you. I really felt this strongly last night preparing and praying for you. God is visiting you today. You might have thought, I visited church. God is visiting you today. The, the passage we're reading, God was visiting Jerusalem, and Jerusalem didn't want to know about it. Most of the people. And this destruction that's happening to Jerusalem is because you didn't recognize that I, God, had come to visit you, and you acted like I wasn't God. I want to say to you this morning, God is in this place. God is in this place. You might have thought you came to meet some people. You didn't. You came to meet with the living God. And I want, whether you're a believer or an unbeliever, I really want you to recognize that God is in this place. Don't let what's true of this passage be true of you, because God's here. Jesus is crying because he had come to his people. He promised that he would come. Throughout the Old Testament, he promised, I'm coming. And he came to visit them. He was with them. He was amongst them. He was their Messiah, and He was their Savior, and they missed it entirely, most of them. A tiny little number believed in Jesus. Jesus came to save. 
and God desires that all people be saved. The Apostle Paul wrote to Timothy, uh, it's not going to be on the screen, it's 1 Timothy 2 verses 3 and 4, he says this, God our Savior, who desires all people to be saved, say all people, that's why we prayed for Jews and Palestinians, God our Savior, who desires all people to be saved and to come to a knowledge of the truth. Jesus wanted them to just see who he was so that they would be saved, that they would be rescued by him. And so God took the initiative. God opened his arms. God desires all people to meet Jesus. God wants everyone to bow their knee and worship to Jesus so that they can accept his free offer of grace. God delights in showing mercy, not in judgment, but we have to accept his mercy. God has given us the free will to reject Jesus. I think this is one of the most amazing things in Scripture, is that although God offers us Jesus, He allows us to reject Him. He could have so easily designed us that when He says, love me, we just go, yes, Lord, like a robot. But He's given us free will. He's given people free will to decide what they do. Well done, you came to church to worship Jesus. But so many people didn't. And God lets people choose. God has given us free will to reject Jesus. And so Jesus was weeping, Luke tells us, because these people had the Messiah visiting them, but they missed it. And this might be you today. You might have thought that you just decided to come to church with your friend or you're just visiting, but maybe you didn't realize today that God is visiting you. And so the question is, have you recognized it? Jesus wept over Jerusalem because he had come to visit them and they couldn't see it. But what about you today? Are you aware that it's Jesus who's in the room with you right now? And he's come to visit you. So our passage has got two parts. It's got Jesus' tears and then it's got his judgment where he overturns the tables. I'm not really going to preach much about that, although I'll make one point of application. So let's ask another question. We've asked, why is Jesus crying? We've tried to understand what it means. Let's ask another question. What does this passage mean for your life and for my life? You know, it's been said that it's always better to learn from someone else's mistakes, right? So this is the idea. You watch some other person. Daniel, come here, please. He just looked like he wanted to volunteer. So if Daniel falls off because he's not paying attention, <laughs> and I didn't push him. <laughs> if da Daniel fall off and lie dead. <laughs> if I'm clever, I learn from Daniel, and I don't do the same. Thanks, Daniel. You're amazing. Huh? There's, a, there's this idea, Right? It's better to learn from someone else's mistakes than from bumping your own head. So with that in mind, let's try and learn from this passage. Because Jesus was pronouncing judgment on Jerusalem and on the synagogue, effectively. So we would be wise if we learn from this rather than it happening to us too. Amen? So let's learn five things. Firstly, if you're an unbeliever, if you know of Jesus, but you haven't yet asked Jesus to become your Savior, this first one's for you. 
The application for you today is believe in Jesus Christ today while you still can. Don't be like these people who had the Messiah visiting them and they acted like he wasn't the Messiah. I want to tell you with the truth of Scripture that Jesus is the Messiah. He's the Lord of heaven and earth. And one day you will bow your knee to him. But if you bow your knee now voluntarily and you make him your Lord and Savior, then when he comes back, you will rejoice in him. But if you choose not to, you will bow your knee and then you'll be judged. And so I want to say if you've never put your faith in Jesus, today is the day to put your faith in Jesus. A life-giving relationship with Jesus because of faith in Jesus is the only way you can have peace with God. You can't make God happy by your good behavior because you're not that good. No one is. No one's good enough. Not even in fundis. Trust me. Or trust my wife or my children. Or the dogs that I used to have. No, I'm joking. No one is good enough. But those who believe in Jesus get their sins forgiven and they get welcomed into a life-giving relation with Jesus forever. Amen? Let's just look at Luke 19, 41 and 42 in the NLT translation. It's so clear here. It says, But as he came closer to Jerusalem and he saw the city ahead, he began to weep. And then Jesus said this, How I wish today that you of all people would understand the way to peace. But now it is too late. And peace is hidden from your eyes. Jesus wants you to know there is a way to being at peace with Him. There's a way to being right with God. But it's not through your human effort. It's through believing in Jesus. And so the way to be right with God is not being a good person. It's believing in Jesus and Jesus really desired that they would understand that he was the way, the truth, and the life. Like he said, John records, Jesus said, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. What he means is if you believe in me, you will find your way to a life-giving relationship with Jesus. And so friend, I don't know how you came to church today, but if you've never asked Jesus to forgive you of your sin, and to become your Lord and Savior. Today's the day. Don't wait. Jesus wept over these people in Jerusalem because he knew that for many of them it was too late because they had ignored him. But it's not too late for you. Jesus doesn't want to cry over you. Jesus died for you so that your weeping could be turned into joy. Jesus died and rose again so that you could become a son and a daughter of the Most High God. And you could come home and you could have a life-giving relationship with Him forever. That's why Jesus came. So Jesus is here now visiting with us. And in just a few minutes, I'm going to give you an opportunity to give your life to Jesus. If you've never done that, I'm going to say this is the best day of your life. Secondly, if you're a Christ follower... I want to say live every day aware of Jesus. Live every day for Jesus as your king. Don't be like chosen Israel, God's vineyard, who although they were his chosen ones, they lived as though he wasn't their God. And when he came looking for fruit, there was no fruit in their lives. 
Brothers and sisters, don't be an unfruitful Christian. Don't be a Christian who, yeah, I know I'm going to heaven because I believed in Jesus and now I'm living how I want and I've got no fruit in my life. But live a fruitful life because you obey Jesus and you live as, with Him as King. Brothers and sisters, if you've believed in Jesus, don't be a worldly Christian. Don't be a Christian by name, but actually if we looked at your life's rhythms and patterns and habits and decisions, the choices you make, those choices don't look like you're following Jesus at all. We, we don't like calling one another Christians here. We call one another Christ followers. Because is there evidence that you're following Christ? I want to urge you, when God comes looking for fruit in your life, will He find it? Will He find it? Will He find it because you've loved Him with all your heart and you've just obeyed the things that He's told you to do? Then there'll be fruit when He comes looking. Thirdly, Christ follower, ask God to break your heart with the things that break His Ask God to give you his heart for those who don't yet know. When Jesus saw all these people who, who didn't know that he was the Messiah, it broke his heart. I want to pray. I'm praying for myself. I want to pray for you. Lord, break our hearts for the things that break yours. I was really impacted visiting Turkey and just seeing Muslim-dominated country. Broke my heart. These are people who God made. God loves them. They've got no knowledge of Jesus. Who's going to tell them? Who's going to plant churches? Are any of you guys going to go and plant a church in Istanbul? Because we need people to go to the ends of the earth to take the good news of Jesus. How can they hear unless someone goes? How can they go unless someone is sent? I want to say beautiful are those who share the good news. Amen? These people's rejection of God as God's Messiah broke Jesus' heart. Ask God to break your heart, to move you with compassion so that you will share your faith with those around you. Not because, it's not like, yeah, but I'm just, I get so awkward. I don't care how awkward you are. If your heart's broken like God's heart, you'll just be awkwardly broken. And God will come into those people's lives. It's the devil who wants to hold us back from sharing our faith. But Jesus' heart was broken for the lost. Ask God to break your heart. Fourthly, Christ follower decides today that unlike these people who grieved God, I'm not going to grieve God. I'm going to please Him. Yes, we live in the comfort that we're accepted by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. Hallelujah. Hey, Lungi. Hallelujah, I won't sing that. She's got a great song she wrote about that. Yes, we are secure in that we are saved by grace alone. But having received so much grace from God, the Bible tells us in Ephesians 4 verse 1, Paul says this, writing from prison, in view of God's mercy, in view of the grace He's given you, live your life in a manner worthy of the gospel. Live your life in a manner worthy of the calling and the grace that's been given to you. So I want to say to you, if you're a Christ follower, decide today, I'm going to live in such a way that I don't ever cause God to cry over me. Ephesians 4 verse 30. 
Don't grieve the Holy Spirit. But I'm going to do the opposite. Ephesians 5.10. I'm going to live in such a way. Ephesians 5.10 in the NIV says, find out what pleases God. And in the subtext, it's like, and do it. Don't grieve God, but find out what pleases Him. And do that. Put a smile on your Father's face. He's smiling over you already because of Jesus. But put a smile on Him because you've responded to the love of Jesus. By, by working harder than anyone else. And bearing more fruit than anyone else. And lastly, church. This is a very sobering passage actually for a church. Jesus walked into this synagogue, this church, the temple, and he kicked the place up and down. It was a wreck after Jesus was there. It was a sign of his displeasure. And I don't want to even get focused on, yeah, it's all about money or it's about this or that. I just want to focus on his displeasure. I want to ask us, Rick Road, are we a church that pleases God? I'm not saying we're not. I'm just saying it's a good question to ask. Can you hear me? It's good to continually ask, Lord, are we pleasing you? Because if you're not careful, you can easily just go through the motions of doing church. You know, we sing four songs, and then Prince stands up and tells us, you know, we pray for the kids, and then we do that, and then someone's going to preach. I hope they're okay. You know, like if you're not careful, you're just going through the motions, do you think the people that Jesus was crying over were still having Jewish religious services in Jerusalem? Do you think they were still having messages from the Torah? Do you think they were still making their sacrifices? And God was crying. It's possible. You know, there's some churches that God's left the building and they don't even know. May we never be that church. Amen? May we never be the church that it doesn't matter if God shows up because we've got this God. We know how to do this thing. Let us be the church that falls apart if God wasn't here. Amen? So Jesus, as he reaches the temple, he's, he's thinking about the city. He sees the city. He cries. But now Luke records that he's in the city and he's in the temple. This is the very place where the presence of God was supposed to dwell. And the king of the temple comes into his temple, and he is repulsed by what he sees happening in his temple. See, this isn't the synagogue ruler's temple. This is Jesus' temple. And that's why he can kick it up if he wants to, because he's the king. And he comes there, and he is saddened by what he sees. He comes with authority. He strode in with authority. And he showed his displeasure. Brothers and sisters, this is not Gareth's church. This is not the elders' church. This is not the leadership team's church. This is Jesus' church. He is the king, and he is the Lord of all. Amen? The church is God's temple. It's the dwelling place that he loves to dwell in. That's Ephesians 2.22. And so we should ask ourselves, we should ask Jesus regularly. Jesus, are you pleased with us? So now I'm not thinking about praying personally. I'm thinking about praying corporately. This is a great thing to pray in prayer meetings. This is a great thing to pray when we have prayer and fasting. We've got a prayer and fasting coming up. Jesus, are you pleased with us? And in Luke 19, Jesus does, does say, 
I want my house to be a house of prayer. I want to ask you, are we a house of prayer? Brothers and sisters, there's about five to six people in the prayer meeting that happens every week. Get out of your bed earlier and come to the prayer meeting. I urge you to come to the prayer meeting. When we call for prayer and fasting, don't go, nah, I quite like my food. Fast and pray. Let's be a house of prayer. Because Jesus said, I want my house to be a house of prayer. Yes, Jesus, because you're the king. I want to ask you, are we a people, are we a place where the presence of God is tangibly experienced? I can say an utter yes from this morning, hey? Hallelujah. We get a, we get a gold star for this morning. But let's make every meeting, every community group, every youth meeting, every prayer meeting, every leadership team meeting, elders meeting, every Sunday meeting, may it be filled with the presence of God. Amen. I want to ask us, is our love for one another so remarkable that the world knows those people are Jesus? Because that's what he said should happen. That's John 13. Do we love each other? Not just, yeah, I'll send you a text, but are we in each other's lives and loving each other? Do we have a heart for the broken? And do we have a desire to set people free? Jesus said, the spirit of the living God is upon me to bind up the brokenhearted, to set captives free. Are captives getting set free here? Are broken people being restored? Yes, they are. That's what Jesus wants. And lastly, are we a church that has a heart, the heart that God has, to see His name spread to the ends of the earth? We've only planted three congregations. We're only three congregations in 20 years. May we be 30 in the next 20 years. May the glory of Jesus be spread around by planting churches. Amen? Brothers and sisters, these are all good things to pray for our church and to pray for any church. May we be a church that pleases God. Just remember that vineyard. God says, I planted a vineyard. We're like a vineyard. The question is, when he comes looking, is there fruit? I want to say, give him your fruit together, not just individually. And remember, it's better to learn from Daniel than to be Daniel. <laughs> so when we read of Jesus' judgment of, of the synagogue, Let's know that at the end of the age, Jesus is going to say, so Rick Road, it's your turn to come up, and we're going to be judged together. In fact, if you don't believe me, you can read Revelation. Jesus is walking through the different churches, and he points to this church. You can go read it in Revelation 2, and he says, you guys, you've been quite good at this, but on this thing, you've really sucked. And then Jesus goes to these guys and says, you guys, you did quite well on this. We're going to be assessed as a church by Jesus. How are we doing? It's better to learn from this passage than to have it to happen to you and think, oh, I didn't know there was an exam at the end of the age for our church. How are we doing on giving? We're not doing well. We need to do better. How are we doing on evangelism? I want to urge you, let's think together as a body. Amen? Jesus wasn't happy with the empty, lukewarm worship that he found in that temple on that day. May it never be said of us, Rick Road. May we be those who love Jesus with all our heart, with all of our soul, with all of our mind, with all our strength. Amen? Don't you want to be part of that church? And I'm so glad we are that church. That's why I honored you and the band this morning. I was so touched by worship this morning. 
Brothers and sisters, it's our responsibility to keep keeping on loving Jesus. Amen.